This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and you're watching Talk Your Book and today we're lucky to be joined by Nick Quinn from Spadium Capital. Nick, welcome for, uh, thanks very much for coming back on the show. Hey Chris, good to see you again. Now you've had um, you've had some huge results of late, so congratulations. Maybe um, you know we encourage a humble brag here. Let let, <laughs> let the viewers know what you've done recently, and, and maybe why this market, more importantly, has been so good for you guys. Yeah, sure. So uh, Spadium's been around; its track record is nearly five years old now. Um, we've delivered about fifty percent outperformance to clients over that time. But as you said. Um, a, a large sliver of that has been of recent, so the last financial year to date, last months, eight months, up to the end of February, uh, the fund's up 23%, the market is up 8%, uh, the wider ASX 200's up about 10 so we're having a good run at the moment. Spadium's biggest, almost tactical advantage is volatility. Um, we are a high turnover fund, we're constantly buying and selling businesses and holding them for about 30 to 45 days, sometimes a little bit shorter, sometimes a little bit longer, um, but yeah, the, the recent volatility and as we know, all the things going on in the world at the moment have, um, have been tailwinds for us. So it's been, been quite good from a marketing perspective to uh, get out there. And are they largely technical signs when you, you choose to get in a position or, or what, what's generally the catalyst when you, when you buy a stock? Yeah, it's, it's a good story that we've experienced and got to enjoy really the last decade. So uh, Jesse and I co-founded the business. We've worked on it for just over 10 years. And one of those things was everyone does have access to the same information. Obviously, if you're using inside information, that's illegal, so you can't be doing that. Um, and there's a lot that's read into news and media and, and you know, advertising of stocks and companies and CEOs and all that sort of stuff. And so when we set out to do this, we looked to quantify stripping that out and not having the same feelings that everybody else does and moving in the same direction as everyone else does. And what we've done there is then tried to um, not be impacted by those factors or the, those recent these recent movements and yeah it's, it's been quite fortunate for us we've found that adding a qualitative overlay such as jess and i reading the news both in our back testing and even in forwards application actually caused a reduction in alpha we were getting caught in the same biases that everybody else was fear in not wanting to get into a stock that's recently fallen um, not wanting to buy businesses that haven't appreciated with their peer sets is that a short-term thing or a long-term thing and don't get me wrong we've We've bought plenty of businesses that have gone on to have a terrible time, um, but that's been more than offset by the 71% uh, of winners that we've uh, entered into have made an absolute return. So that's offset the 29% the of the losers. So we're by no means perfect, but we're, we're better than average. And we, you seem to be less correlated to the market than other funds. I guess that's because of the short-term nature of the holds. Has that been how it's played out? And has that been something that's important to your investor base? Absolutely. Uh, there's so many funds in this country that do profess the long buy and hold greater than 12 months, greater than three years even, uh, especially when you move into the small segment, there is a story element to the smalls of, we're gonna buy this business, it's gonna become the next CSL or Afterpay, it's gonna go ballistic, you're gonna make so much money. Naturally, some fundies do go on to achieve that, but many don't, and, and graveyard bias is an interesting one because you're able to see the winners, mm. but you never really notice the people who went out of business along the way. So we were looking at that, um, from an existential perspective for the firm of how can we insulate ourselves from that. And being a new entrant to the Australian market, we're, we're only five years old, although that's starting to become significant now with advisors and stuff like that. If we did have a three year term, we've done one and a half 
just under two revolutions of our approach. Um, we're quite confident in our ability to keep working the Australian market the way we have been, given the 45-day holding, given the amount of years we've been around, we've performed you know, many, many more revolutions than um, some of our peers. So it was interesting in the beginning, the first year or two, advisors and even high net wealth and, and wholesale investors would say, I get it, I like the results, they are short term, you've only had a year or two, let me get more comfortable with this. I'm just not confident on the fact that it's a little bit different and maybe too different for my taste. Um, and they're the same people that a year or two later who are investing a little bit more generally, uh, say, I really love it because it's different. And I go, well, hang on, mate, you said you didn't like it because it was different, but um, you, can't, you can't slap them too much for that. So our yeah, probably biggest marketing hurdle at the moment is getting people more socialised and more, um, I wouldn't say educated, it's probably not the right word, but trying to um, demonstrate to our audience how we're different, why we're different, and why this could be useful in your portfolio in contrast to uh, some of your more traditional asset majors out there. And we'll get into three stocks at the end, which you think are interesting from a technical standpoint. Yeah. But before we do that, in, uh, in much more of a qualitative sense, how are you seeing uh, the broader macro environment at the minute? Yeah, sure. So it's something that we don't let filter through to our quantitative um, trading approach. But you know, that said, it's still something you can't ignore and something that obviously comes up in uh, discussions with investors and, and financial advisors and the like. It's good for us. The volatility is fantastic. Panic creates dislocations that we can capitalise on. Um, and we do find that very useful. So hopefully there's some more of that to, to come. Interest rates and inflation, obviously one of the biggest ones that are affecting us all at the moment. Um, big fees for not only the Australian middle class, but obviously that global middle class that are getting crunched on both sides. Their wealth's getting, even though it's smaller than some of the high net wealth, getting eroded by inflation as it goes. And then they're just using their salaries to get by because grocery prices have gone through the roof fuel, as we know, um, that's obviously certainly a, a bit of a concern from the macro point. A and how much can the US continue to pump up, provide M0 money, M1 money, uh, free handouts, if you like, and then obviously what that means for the banking sector, as, as we were talking about before we turn live. They're talking about the US going through a bit of a rich session, which is an interesting phrase. You've got, uh, you know, ChatGBT potentially making a significant number of white collar jobs redundant at the same time asset prices. Yeah are getting crunched and you know when you compare it to blue collar workers all of a sudden you've got a lot of reshoring as manufacturing comes back from from china and other countries back into the us when you look at money you mentioned money supply before or, or different types of when you look at m2 in the us the fact that it's negative first time for 33 years do you think that's an underappreciated fact that that perhaps a lot of people don't spend enough time thinking about absolutely um I was talking about it with a, a relative of mine the other day, just explaining that concept of, of what different monetary means are. And obviously there's cash and cash at bank, and then there's you know, pseudo cash being gold and other equivalents that are readily exchangeable. And then obviously working our way out towards assets that do have a value, but don't have a right today tangible value. Um, and the overinflation of those assets over the last 20 years has probably been one of the biggest crimes we've seen in terms of a generational shift. Um, you know, I was doing some research the other day, we are putting together an article for Livewire Media and talking about, you know, is, is it better or worse living in today's outcome? And you can obviously quantify that in terms of healthcare and technology and everyone's got mobile phones, whether they make you more depressed or more happy is probably a topic for another day. But in terms of ability for a family household to get by, pay the school bills, buy some new footy boots, you know, go to the, go to the netball or whatever you want to do on the weekend. Um, and get by, it is harder now. The participation rate is up from 
sort of 59, 60% back in 93 to sort of 66 now, meaning people are available to work, are they choosing to? Unemployment is obviously lower than it was back then and has been through other, other periods as well. So there's plenty of people working and, and the data does seem to indicate that not only are people working, but they are working more uh, number of jobs and number of hours. So there's more people picking up part-time jobs on the weekend and stuff like that. There's an obvious political consideration that then does the constraints of everyday life push people into other means, including working in sort of grey finance. And what we mean by that is like house cleaning, gardening, things that are all tax avoidance and, and things like that that are very hard to monitor. Uh, and obviously then black money being you know, the drug trade and whatever else. So does it push people into more of that part of society as those monetary constraints come on? Um, you know, anecdotally, there's a, a buddy of mine, he's got a mortgage, we were talking about the other day over a beer on the weekend, and, and he said, you know, my payments have gone up by quite a significant amount. I won't dob him in for how much it is, but um, he's quite fortunate that him and his you know, partner, they're not, they're not married yet, they don't have kids, they can afford to have that stretch. Now, if you have mum and dad both working, they're already paying childcare, and then the average carrying balance of a mortgage in Victoria is 618,000, Australia-wide at 601. Um, going from 2% to 6%, it's an extra 4%, uh, you know, that carries an extra sort of $24,000 a year, just in interest. Mm. You don't get anything for that money, you just have to pay that back to the bank um, and they say thank you. Um, you know, it's terrifying that, that how much it takes to actually earn an extra $24,000 after tax, after super, after hex if you're still paying that. And so with monetary conditions tight and liquidity globally tight and it looks like it's about to get tighter after the recent banking crisis out of the US and and now Europe as well. I noticed the stocks you've picked that we'll talk about later, uh, two of them are really low PE stocks and one of them is really cheap price to book uh, value stock. Are you seeing the opportunities that, that come up in your screens more often stocks that are cheap today, uh, that benefit, well, are less prone to, to be susceptible to liquidity compared to you know a couple of years ago when M2 was growing so strongly and everyone was more focused on companies they're going to be able to make more money tomorrow than they can today? Yeah, it's, you've hit the nail on the head. What we are trying to do at Spadium is to not take a sector tilt, not fall in love with a particular business, not sit on large amounts of cash and try and guess whether the market's going to go up and down. We are fully deployed, we're less than 1% cash, so we're always in the market. Um, and those processes keep you safe during things like COVID and crashes like that. We um, legally compelled to keep going, to keep buying, buying these opportunities when everyone else is panicking and liquidity is being pulled out. The other side of that is then looking at the businesses that we own and we're constantly rebalancing. We're, we're doing two to three full days of trading a week as opposed to a smalls major that might rebalance once a quarter, once a year or even less. We feel that the businesses we hold whilst we're sector agnostic are cheaper than their peer set within their sector. So they do have a, a cheaper element to them in total. And when these down months occur, our businesses and our portfolio has less far to mm. fall than the market does. Now, it's not a perfect science. It hasn't worked out every single time uh, at 100%. But, you know, a good stat we like to use is, you know, the small ordinaries in our first four years of operations naturally had 48 months. The market went up 26. It went down 22. We outperformed 17 of those 22 months. And, and I think the human psychology element of, of market participation, especially in the retail sector, really does go on to think about you know, the GFC, COVID crash, um, obviously the Ukraine and reinflation has been quite a crash, but it's not quite burnt in the memories as mm. much. And people say, oh, why, why are you this defensive major? We've got an up capture that is 100%. So when the market's going up and liquidity is increasing, generally, um, we go up with it. We're then protecting your capital on the downside with a down capture that's in the 60s. So you lose less. 
Our beta is less than the market, portfolio variance is less than the market. So we're a defensive uh, major on that front. People would say, why would you want to go to that? You know, crashes only ever happen every 10 years or so. And it's like, no, 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 it happens far more frequently than that. Every couple of months you have a negative month, um, you know, sometimes multiples back to back. So that's where we feel we're best placed and best diversified for people who are looking for income primarily, uh, and then a little bit of that downside capture and protection of their capital, not necessarily these aggressive outperformance numbers that some other funds put up. And so let's walk, walk through your, uh, your overview of the three stocks you had picked. I know one of them's already hit your price target due yep. it, uh, it ripping today, but walk us through the, the stocks and, and some of the things you're looking for with them. Yeah, sure. So that's uh, the last one that we talk about. Um, the first one we've got is Coronado Global Resources, uh, obviously the materials sector, a big manufacturer of metallurgical coal. Um, they're about 138th on the ASX 300, so um, sort of in that mid-band for us, full disclosure, we do own them at, at present. Um, and we did have a price target as of last night of $1.83. Market's come up a little bit today, so that'll probably carry up uh, with that. Um, the second one for us is Insignia Financials, so they're obviously an asset manager. They also have lots of other wealth functions, so quite a financial services firm, and that's really in the financial services industry. Um, they sit at 171st there, and at the same, we, we do own that one as well, so um, full disclosure there. Um, same thing there, as a close of business last night, target exit for $2.92. Again, that's probably come up a little bit today, but today's not a trading day, so that's all right. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, the last one for us that's quite interesting is, is Grain Corp. Um, we were you know, watching them for quite a while. We never quite hit the target price that we wanted to see there. That's now turned around today. I think it was up 3.5% the last time I checked um, before the show. Ranked 192nd. They were a target. Price target of $7 flat. We didn't hit that, and I, I don't think we're going to catch them now, now that they're heading back away. So um, got very close to that one, but not quite there. Very nice, mate. Well, thanks very much for... Uh for coming back on the show and walking us through it and uh, good luck with the, uh, the rest of the year. Yeah, thanks Chris. Thanks, thanks Nick. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.